Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. David Flannery. And I'm Dr. Luke Nose. And you're listening to Pale Blue Dot. Hey, so Luke, what are we talking about today? So today, uh, we spent a lot of time in our previous podcast talking about how to make a habitable planet, formation of the planet, formation of other planets, and what implications that might ha have for life in, on Earth and other parts of the solar system. But I think today, we're going to talk about what a fossil is, what the fossil record tells us about evolution, about biodiversity, about various events over time. Talk a little bit about why people are so interested in these sorts of things and why this field of research captures not only the scientific imagination, but the general public. Awesome. Let's get stuck into it then. You mentioned that the fossil record is really the only record we have of life on the planet before the written word. So how extensive is the fossil record? Well, it's our written record is very limited compared to the expanse of geological time and, and the amount of time that life has been present on this planet. So, you know, for things like climate change or uh, looking at um, future projections of, of what the Earth might look like, this is our only, only record of such things. So maybe our written record goes back a few thousand years. Uh, maybe our spoken word rec record goes tens of thousands of years. For example, in Indigenous Australian spoken record, but the fossil record tells us at, at varying resolutions. Let's go all the way back to three and a half billion years, essentially. Maybe a little bit beyond that, depending on uh, what you perceive to be a fossil. Yeah, it's some living thing preserved in a rock, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah, it's part of the animal, some activity of of the organism. So, what about a turd? that ends up in a rock? Is that a fossil? Turd is, has a scientific name called a coprolite. Uh, right. And so fossil poo is a trace fossil. There's a few categories of fossils. So there's some element of the morphology of the organism uh, is a body fossil. A trace fossil is something that is the remains of the activity of an organism. Like footprints? Footprints, burrows, nests, turds, so none, none of the actual remains of the organism. And what about, say, a, a molecule like that was synthesised by an organism? The organism's long gone, but there's just a bit of organic matter left. Is that a fossil? It is a fossil uh, in the form of a chemical fossil, as long as we can track that chemical to a particular group of organisms or organism metabolism, I guess, in, in the geological context. So these are organic molecules that are trapped within the sedimentary rocks that the organism lived in. So I know that there's a bunch of different species that are in the fossil record that aren't around today. And over time, species appear and they, they disappear. Um, is, is there any um, general pattern to the fossil record from beginning to, to end or where we are today? So this is where our discussion about geological time back in the first podcast one of Pale Blue Dot, where we talked about geological time and different uh, names for subdividing that geological time scale. That's largely defined by the fossil record. So, for example, our earliest potential habitable time on, on this planet, the Archean, which is around 4 billion to 2.5 billion years, 
our fossil record is exclusively microbial in that it's simple celled organisms of archaea or bacteria, those two domains that uh, make up the entire entirety of the fossil record for that particular time. Following that, uh, various changes in the atmosphere uh, and oceans as a result of biological activity, notably photosynthesis. So oxygen levels went from zero to something during those times. And uh, that led to a distinctly different uh, evolutionary path from about 2.5 billion years onwards. So we had development of a um, complex cell. So animals and plants have a complex cell and we have a nucleus and organelles. Uh, that had to happen at some point in the geological past. And it seems to uh, most likely point in time is after that two and a half billion year time period before animals first came onto the, the scene. There's not a lot that happens early on, maybe because we don't have a lot of uh, insight into, into the world at that time, but we've got simple organisms, if that's what you want to call them. And then plants and animals show up 600 million years ago or something like that. Yeah. Look, I think a lot of people are under the impression that things are, are getting better throughout geological time. Like before we arrived, we had other other apes that weren't capable of building spacecraft, say, so they clearly weren't as, as good as us. Before that, we had, you know, maybe some some fish. And before that, we had some slugs or something. And then before that, we had some microbes. What do you say to people who who are under the impression that organisms are getting better? Well, it, it, it sounds like you, you're trying to summarise what evolution represents. Yeah, what do you, I mean, evolution means the unravelling of a scroll in Latin, I think. But what, you know, what, what does it actually mean? Well, I think uh, getting back to the trend thing, overall, there's a trend towards diversity over, over the, the expanse of the fossil record. But that's punctuated by a series of catastrophic events, mm. mass extinctions. So we're a, glo a global level event, and the, probably the most famous one is the end of the Cretaceous period, going into the, the Cenozoic. Knocked off the dinosaurs, right? Yeah, that knocked off the dinosaurs as a result of the meteorite impact. And that uh, had a significant effect on life that was present on, on this planet at that point in time. And really, it, highlight, it, it highlights the non-linear direction that evolution takes and it really it's just the term survival of the fittest gets used but it's it's really it's not really about being the fittest it's about being uh in the right place at the right time with the right mechanisms to deal with the environment maybe the fittest is in the the best adapted to the environment on that particular day exactly so there's no there's no consciousness involved in evolution there's no necessary direction for mm. it if it wasn't for that meteorite impact, which knocked off the dinosaurs and allowed mammals to diversify and for, for ourselves to evolve, you know, perhaps something else would have evolved. I mean, we, we don't know. We can't run the experiment twice, can we? Maybe we'd have intelligent dinosaurs or, or you know, squid. Who knows? Yeah. So I think the average length of time that a species endures is something like a million years. Some species uh, are with us for thousands of years. Others are with us for hundreds of millions of years. So that's the history of the fossil record in a nutshell. What about the history of the understanding of the history of the fossil record? Since ancient times and even before that, I mean, people probably used fossil sharks' teeth to cut things because they yeah. would have been great little knives. But did they actually know what they were? 
Who was the first to realize that you know, a fossil shark's tooth had come from a shark in the ancient past? Well, let's just say this is a very uh, European-centric mm. history. So the, uh, the Europeans have uh, been prolific in, in recording their history. So we're very much lent towards that. But uh, Nils, Nils Stenson, sometimes called Nicholas Steno from uh, Denmark, was one of the first people to come up with this idea of being remains of, of past life. And he was actually following on from a gentleman by the name of Leonardo da Vinci. I think you've heard of him, David. Mm, I've heard of him, yep. The Renaissance man, artist, inventor, and not Ninja Turtle. Um, <laughs> he recognised fossils as the remains of life. So before Steno, people were aware of these features in the rocks. I mean, I know um, the ancient Greeks, uh, have, we've got writings from, I think, Aristotle, who discussed uh, seashells he found in the fossil record. And um, people were aware that there were these organisms preserved in the fossil record, but it seems as though the prevailing explanation was that they were the result of other processes, maybe like the tongue stones that had fallen from the moon. I think people oh, had that, yeah. <laughs> that idea for fossil shark's tooth and things, uh, well, they'd all been formed in the great biblical flood. And then by the sounds of things, in the Renaissance, people started to come up with this uh, story that perhaps the fossil record is this layer by layer book and um, we can use the changes in organisms over the stratigraphy to unravel the history of life on earth <laughs> following up on uh something you said there which I, I thought was really interesting that we have a very much a european centric view of the history of you know the development of our understanding of the fossil record yeah I think that's absolutely true and there are other uh, sources other cultures that have recorded in great detail some of these revelations through time. And one of those is ancient China. And there was a gentleman by the name of Shen Kuo who wrote about fossils and stratigraphy in about 1000 AD, so well before the Renaissance. But unfortunately, I guess those works weren't um, disseminated widely, or at least not widely enough to make it into Europe. So moving on, Luke, there must be varying types of preservation. I mean, Sometimes you get a fossil that's not as well preserved as, as other times. And we have some examples of spectacularly well-preserved fossils out there, which yeah. often are the keys to understanding what an organism was like. So in terms of uh, types of fossils, typically the, the body fossils are the most interesting. So there's something that catches the anatomy of, of the organism. And amongst that, there's a bias towards organisms that make hard parts. By hard parts, we mean bones, shells, skeletons, exoskeletons, those sorts of things. So that bias in the fossil record is, is towards typically towards marine organisms and organisms that make a mineralized component. Preservation of soft parts like skin and hair and feathers, internal organs is very rare. Why is it rare? Well, it requires certain conditions for those softer bodied parts to, to remain because they're easily consumed through the general metabolic processes of, of Earth's surface. They can be eaten by a predator or a scavenger at some point in time. So if a fish dies in a lake, yeah. no one's there to see it. Did it really happen? No, what I mean is if a fish dies in a lake and it sinks to the bottom of that lake, it doesn't get eaten by another fish. Will it be preserved in a perfect fish fossil? Again, rarely, I would say. I guess even if there's no animals to eat it, the microbes will decompose it. Exactly. It'll sort of destroy the soft parts and all we'll be left with, even if we're lucky, are those lithified components of the organism, the bones. Yeah. So 
anywhere we can find a good preservation of true biodiversity with soft parts typically, usually called a, a lugger star. And so you mentioned they're very valuable deposits, fossil deposits. Yeah. Are there some prominent lagus starts that we would be familiar with? Well, I think that probably the most famous one is uh, Burgess Shale, which is a- what, what is the Burgess Shale? Yeah, it's a Cambrian age fossil deposit in the Canadian Rockies. So this Cambrian period is when we had a rapid diversification of, of life. And it seems that all sorts of weird and wonderful creatures were inhabiting the oceans of the time. And some that we, we have difficulty reconciling with modern animals. I recently uh, discovered, Luke, that we have our own uh, sort of equivalent of the Burgess Shale in Australia. Yeah, this is in, uh, on Kangaroo Island, the Emi Bay Shale, uh, which is, again, a mid-Cambrian mid age deposit that's full of all sorts of weird and wonderful creatures. So we all love a good recreational fossil, or at least I do. I'll spend my days off fossiling on occasion. But uh, there are reasons we shouldn't just uh, grab our hammer and, and head out to the Emu Bay Shale, eh? Yes. These are, a lot of these are scientifically valuable. They can become popular tourist sites. Mm. And, um, Economically valuable, I mean. Some of these specimens fetch a, a decent yeah. price on the, the black market, don't they? Hopefully that's been cracked down on of late. You know, the Emu Bay Shale uh, was uh, pillaged in, in the 90s. In fact, people used dynamite to extract specimens. And there was a, a major federal investigation. I think uh, our federal minister at the time, Amanda Vanstone, received the, the specimens back after this expensive international criminal investigation. So a lot of fossils you could are not that scientifically valuable you can go out there and collect them yourselves and, and you, you should you, you might find something really interesting but lager starts are usually examples of a limited area with exceptional preservation that are probably protected by law yeah have you been to many lager starts david i've been to a few lager starts i've been to uh, the burgess shale I've been to some more recent lager studs, like the Green River Formation in uh, the central United States, which is a big lake that preserves stromatolites, which we've heard about, but also um, turtles and, um, and rays, and maybe not sharks, definitely rays in amazing detail. Um, and I've been to some uh, Cretaceous lager stud that preserve dinosaur feathers in amazing detail. And I know these lager studs are the ones that really help us piece together the history of the evolution of say feathers. Turns out some dinosaurs had feathers and sometimes they're preserved with even their colour intact in these deposits. We also get like the texture on dinosaur skin, for example. So David, we've talked a little bit about the fossil record, but um, these can be deeply personal experiences, a connection with the past, and people generally have a favourite. So what's your favourite fossil that you've ever collected? Oh, it, it's a tough question, isn't it? I love to get out there and, and hack away with my geological hammer. But probably a fossil that holds a special place in my heart. I'm looking at it on the shelf right now. It's the stomach of a plesiosaur that I collected in Antarctica. Accidentally just came across this thing. I was walking along the boundary of that uh, mass extinction event that knocked off the dinosaurs, trying to look for differences in, in the rocks that might give some clue as to what caused that event. And I found right at the top of the Cretaceous, an entire plesiosaur, just like sticking out out of the sand, Jurassic Park style. I've never seen anything like that before. Probably never will again. So I just sort of stopped and gawked at it for a while. 
and then uh, took the whole thing out with a helicopter. That's got to be my favourite fossil. Well, that's got everything. Uh, <laughs> mass extinction, uh, no, dead, dead marine reptile, possibly the last of its kind, in a forbidden continent and chop it out the, uh, the fossil. It does. In fact, maybe it was uh, a dream. Maybe it never happened. Sounds like, sounds like it should be a movie, right? Um, <laughs> what about you, Luke? You got a favourite fossil? Well, a lot of the fossicking I've done has been in really common fossil areas. So um, there are plenty. So uh, I particularly like the Devonian and like, I like corals, sponges. And I've done work in Western Australia in the, on the Leonard Shelf, which is uh, this ancient Devonian reef, which isn't made of coral so much, but more of sponges and microbes. But the area there is famous for being a, a fish, a fossil fish location. And the Devonian is part of this time where we had all sorts of weird and diversifying fish. And in the Gogo formation, which is a potentially another, would you call it, is it a Lagostat? I believe it is a Lagostat, yeah. So the Gogo formation is full of, it's a deeper water environment that uh, is full of these nodules, which apparently you crack the nodules open and you can find all sorts of fossils, including fish, ammonites, and those sorts of things. But I, I spent a month in Western Australia for a research project in this area and I must have cracked thousands and thousands of nodules <laughs> and didn't find a thing. Ah, yeah. So I know the feeling. That's that's my uh my story around you never that. know. You never know if the next right. nodule might have something. So you just keep going. It's hard to stop. You get the exactly. fever, the fossil fever. Uh yeah, you you always want to just split that one more. Let's just split one more, split one more. It could be the one. Yeah. Never happened. But that is fossil king, I have to say. Well, good luck on your next expedition out to the Gogo Formation, Luke. Thank you. I, it's been 20 years, so I, I hope, hope to get back there soon. Could be your time. So is that it for this week? Should we? I think, I think that's up? it. Yeah, we'll call that a wrap. This is uh, our uh, introduction to the fossil record, I think. I think. Stay tuned for more Stay detail tuned. on yeah. fossils. Hello and welcome to Mars. Fossil time.